Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network, where we take a closer look each week at the wide, weird, and wonderful world of running. I'm your host, Jonathan Ellsworth. I'm also the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Off the Couch is presented by CBG Trails. The CBG Trails app is the only complete trail map app of Crested Butte and the Gunnison Valley, Colorado. So download the app today and start exploring. By the time she was five years old, Kelly Newland had already identified two of her biggest passions, running and cooking. And those passions led her to run longer and longer races and go on to become a classically trained chef. And these days, Kelly and her husband Morgan operate RAD, Real Athlete Diets, out of Boulder, Colorado, where they are, quite literally, feeding and fueling the ultra-running community, including a number of its elite performers. So in this episode, Maddie Hart and I talk to Kelly about eating well and performing well, we get the entrepreneurial story of how Kelly went from training at the Culinary Institute of America to working a food truck to starting Real Athlete Diets. We also talk about how Kelly deals with the huge range of dietary restrictions that runners are well known for and more. This is a fun conversation and a really interesting window into the world of an important member of the running community. And Maddie and I are happy to share it now with you. Here we go. Well, Kelly, how are you today and where are you today? Uh, I'm great. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, and I'm actually sitting in Buzz Burrell's old office at the UV <laughs> at Ultimate Directions headquarters. Uh, we, we've had quite a bit of wind up at our house lately, so I didn't want to lose power in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> so I came down the hill and uh, asked if I could jump in in Buzz's old office because I knew it would be quiet and uh, it's always a good spot. There's good energy in here from Buzz. So, Given that Maddie is a Boulder kid, I, I'm curious whether you two have crossed paths um, Maddie, I don't know when we actually first met, but, um, we, we probably, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I think I started just hearing your name pop up before I met you and we probably initially met at an Adidas group run or something. And then, um, of course came fast friends and, uh, <laughs> Maddie and I were both actually on a really cool trip with Adidas in Austria for a week. She's one of my favorite, my favorite Boulder kids. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. I was hoping it was going to be a story about how you'd heard of Maddie as one of the like troublemakers, like, you know, one of those kids, you were always worried about what direction they were going to go in life, that type of thing, but it was not quite that. <laughs> no, it was definitely not. It was more <laughs> of uh, up and coming. <laughs> okay. So there is a, there's a connection that goes back a bit and, um, Kelly, why don't you, for people who don't know, tell us a little bit about Real Athlete Diets and give us a bit of the synopsis about how you came to start this company. Sure, sure. Um, Well, gosh, you know, in a nutshell, um, Real Athlete Diets, better known as RAD, um, 
is a catering company that focuses on feeding uh, endurance athletes. And, you know, a lot of folks think, well, gosh, there's a lot of catering companies out there. You know, I, um, why did you feel like there, there needed to be one more? Um, and the biggest reason for that is uh, when we work with a group of athletes, more often than not, uh, there is a laundry list of dietary restrictions that go along with that group. And that was something that um, being an athlete myself and being in the outdoor industry, um, my husband and I both really just understood. For us, it was more of, it's, you know, it's more of a lifestyle and kind of a way of life. So um, if we show up to an event and there are out of 50 people at it, you know, half of them are vegan, everyone's gluten-free, the, the rest are dairy-free and nut-free, and, you know, five or six have anaphylactic reactions to whatever, um, at most chefs and catering companies would be like, you got to find somebody else. We're not touching <laughs> with a 10 foot pole for us. It's just totally normal. Uh, and so we're comfortable with that, but we're also really comfortable with endurance athletes because that's our tribe, you know, that's, that's our family. Uh, so spending time, uh, I often feel like it's a selfish job because it really just put, let, allows me to spend time with all of my friends and feed them. <laughs> it's like having a bunch of people over for dinner or lunch uh, and like 50 of my favorite friends over. And they just happen to be you know, endurance athletes. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, that, that's what we are. And that's who we are. I can already tell I'm going to get real hungry during this conversation. So just, I'm already, I'm just literally while you're talking, I'm like, I really need to become good friends with Kelly. This sounds good. Somebody who's interested in cooking for people. Um, so. And you haven't had the pleasure of eating her food yet because it's amazing. Everything she makes is so good. I'm prepared to believe you. Um, so Kelly, I mean, that's a pretty interesting thing in talking about, you know, hearing from other companies and other services when you start getting into all of these specificities surrounding different athletes' diets. And also when you couple that with the fact that these are people who need to feel great in prepping for an event and certainly when they're about to um, go run an event, that is a added degree of pressure, certainly, um, because, yeah, you start putting, slipping ingredients in that uh, a, a, a top performer doesn't get along with, I suspect you're going to get some angry folks and some disappointed folks. Yeah, and I don't want to be on the, <laughs> the other end of that ever, so... <laughs> Uh, because we are in us, you know, I always refer to our ultra running community as a Horton, here's a who size <laughs> <laughs> world of sport, right? Um, it's, you know, for those of us that are in it, it feels so large, but it's really small. And if um, I really messed something up once, uh, that would be it. So, yeah, every once in a while, um, there were there were two events in particular uh, yeah, there've been two events in particular that come to mind. The first one was, um, probably the first hard rock that we ever fed, uh, almost the entire, like top 10 women and top 10 men and their crews and pacers. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we get everything all set, we loaded up and we had to Silverton, um, the night before I was loading everything up and I, 
all of a sudden just had this like sort of paralyzing moment. I was like, we can bring down hard rock. Like this is really bad. I'm losing my mind, (laughs) but we were feeding. So this was the year guys that, um, Jason Schlarb and Killian finished together. Anna, so it was Jason Schlarb, it was Killian, Anna Frost was running, Darcy was running. Um, I mean, you name it. We were feeding not just the uh, the top ten men and women had hired us. They're, either they reached out to us to feed them specifically uh, while they were in Silverton for Hard Rock, or their sponsors had contacted us like Solomon was said, Hey, we we have this entire house. Every one of our athletes is staying there. Um, we cannot possibly get the food that they need, um, in and out of Silverton. And it will take so much, um, off of our plates. If you bring the food down, these are the dietary restrictions and just drop it off at the house. So we show up with a bunch of coolers. We go to each sponsor house and I'm like, here's your food for the week. Here's your food for the week. Um, so that's what happens. So everyone, literally everybody that's staying at that house is being fed by us. So it's the athletes, it's the pacers, it's their crews. It's literally everything, their entire like camera crew, the filming, everybody, media. Um, but the night before I just all of a sudden had this, like paralyzing oh my gosh moment I just sort of slid down the side of the counter and sat on the floor and was like oh gosh <laughs> but you know I I was confident in what was happening I actually teach serve safe so you know we're good to go but the scary part is <laughs> once you bring the food to their house like I don't know what they're doing with it if they leave it on the counter for hours on end not refrigerated I can't control anything that happens after that. But, and then this year when we did uh, Pike's Peak, we were hired by Solomon and I was with the entire Solomon global team for seven days. And we fed them um, every single day, every one of the athletes. And again, it was, I think the top 15 men and the top 10 or 12 women that finished. Um, we, every one of them for me it's I can't imagine having a, a cooler job but I'm sure there are some people who would be like oh my god you have to cook every day <laughs> so you do I have this right that you started rad around 2014 yeah yeah we turned five years old this year I'm counting on my fingers you can't see it <laughs> <laughs> uh, well so how does this work I mean you're talking about you know you were hired by Solomon and you were working this uh, pretty big deal, you know, Adidas event in Europe. How hard was it to kind of get on the radar of huge companies and elite athletes? Was this a kind of linear progression over 2014? Was it kind of very difficult at the beginning and then things spiked? Talk to me a bit about that. You know, the first year of anything, being a, you know, starting a business is, as you know, <laughs> um, not for the faint of heart. And <laughs> my husband, Morgan, is the uh, director of sales for Ultimate Direction. So he was kind enough to take a year off and help me start RAD and then go back to work, uh, which, I, you know, the, the entire model, business model would not have been successful without him by my side. But we planted ourselves three to four days a week at every 
fun run, ride, climbing gym, um, schema race, uh, trail run, like you name it. If BRC was having an event, an event, we were there and we just were like, Hey, we're going to show up and feed. I know you've got a group run tonight and you have beer for it. Um, you have pizza that you get and they're like, yeah, we get it for free from Whole Foods. I'm like, oh God, we can't compete with that. So, um, we donated so much food that first year and just put ourselves everywhere. And then people started calling and they would say, Hey, we saw you at so-and-so or this event. Uh, can you come and do our whatever? So it built, um, slowly, but surely, um, and, you know, almost kills you in between there. And, uh, because, you know, it's, it's not, um, someone asked me a few weeks ago, they're like, well, you're a nonprofit, right? I was like, hell no. (laughs) I own a house in Boulder. I need profit. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, We're not, we are a for-profit business. We're just like any other sort of chef or catering company, but we do. And especially in that first year donated all of our time and so much product to get our name out there and then if i saw let's say um i don't know nike trail was having an event uh that was two months away i would call them and say hey i see you have this event do you have any food for it and they'd say no i'm like we would love to be the food partner for your event and they're like oh we have a lot of food i'm like we're coming i'm gonna bring you a sample so, <laughs> uh, so that's what happened if there was an event we wanted to be a part of we called we contacted and just made it happen and we're just it's kind of like that saying in training you know relentless forward motion uh, got us to where we are now and then we were really fortunate that the same year that we started Brad, timothy olson moved from oregon to boulder and I was just such a fan of his. And uh, I remember Morgan saying, hey, I just saw this on Facebook. Somebody else in this just announced he's packing up and moving to Boulder. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So I sent him a message on, like, Facebook of all things. But he responded in, like, five minutes. And uh, he was like, yeah, you know, when we get out there, let's connect. So Tim came out, and we – I was like, let me just bring you some food and see if you like it. And uh, – Tim is mostly animal protein. Their entire house is gluten-free, dairy-free, nut-free, and his wife was allergic to eggs. So they were just like mystified that they could find someone who could feed them uh, and not be kind of rattled by that. So um, we became, Tim became our first sponsored athlete with that, which meant that every week we brought Tim free food. Uh, And then a few months later, Tim, first ever running retreat, burn mindful retreat. And he was like, Hey, we need food for this retreat. Do you think you can do this? And I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> we can totally do that. Um, so we started working with Tim in a really great way. And, you know, we would consider them uh, just our family at this point. They're such great friends. Uh, but it was that relationship. Um, and we started working with Kat Bradley uh, in the same way and Ryan Lassen. And so what happens at that point is those athletes just start blowing up social media and people start hearing about you. And then other brands and other athletes are like, Hey, you know, Jenny jerk was like, I need, I 
need to feed Scott while we're writing this cookbook. I heard you guys are the people to call because she's great friends with Tim and Krista. And she's like, I am so overwhelmed with cooking. We're writing this book. Can you feed us while we write this book? And that was when they were writing North. So that's how we got involved with Scott and Jenny. And now we're, we're great friends. I adore them. Uh, I often get like hysterical, very funny texts from Jenny at like midnight. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you haven't met Jenny Jerk, she's one of the funniest people on the planet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just organically happened that way. So on your bio, you had a note that said you like to work with young adults and teach the benefits of food and nutrition as a life skill. Will you kind of talk about how like cooking and food you think plays such a big role in, you know, overall life, but also as like an athlete with your performance? Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. I mean, at some point, we all have to leave, you know, our families' homes, right? So <laughs> learning how to feed ourselves is absolutely life skill. Um, and, at, you know, at the time that I started RAD, uh, I was also doing contract work for an organization in Boulder called AIM House, which is a transition home for youth in recovery. And I would work with um, the participants at this in this program and they had gone through pretty severe drug addiction or eating disorder um, programs and they would come to aim house and stay in this transition home before kind of going back just into their normal routine that had all these triggers so I spent time with them um, kind of and their therapeutic teams um, just working on what food looks like them at this point in life at that stage in the game uh and so many of them had no idea how to even you know use like a vegetable peeler or literally crack an egg i remember working with one one uh this one guy who had never cracked an egg in his entire life and it was amazing to watch him <laughs> crack this egg it was like the incredible hulk just and it just became very apparent to me that just because i had been raised in a home where, you know, you started learning how to cook when you were, you know, five, six years old, that not every child has that opportunity. Um, and the, I think the earlier you're able to build that relationship and comfort with food, the more comfortable you are with food in your life. So if you do go through kind of peaks and valleys of having issues with food, um, if you're already a little bit more comfortable with it and have a friendly relationship with it, um, hopefully it's easier for you to, to navigate that. Do you feel like having such a long relationship with food, you said you've been cooking since you were like five, like, have you had any personal like relationship issues with food with running? I know that's like a pretty common thing that runners question if they're eating too much or they're too big. Oh, yeah, I definitely, um, you know, when I was junior high and high school, um, and, you know, then, of course, you go to culinary school, which is, is not as odd as it sounds. A lot of folks that have had issues with disordered eating end up in the food industry. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, junior high and high school, I really um, I struggled with food, and it had nothing to do with it was, 
with with running. Um, and I was a sprinter in junior high and high school. I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. So I could honestly have eaten whatever and not gained an ounce. But um, it was for me. Um, it was a. Oh, I would say more of a the one thing in life that I felt like I could control at the time. And, uh, yeah, it, it didn't have anything to do with body dysmorphia. Um, it was for a totally different reason. Uh, every once in a while, um, if I'm going through just a particularly difficult time, it's just anxiety-ridden and stressful in life, I can still feel like little twinges of that. And I'm like, hello. To be, <laughs> it doesn't need to go that way. Um, so addiction is a is a beast of a thing. Kelly, let's, if I may, I'm curious about you know in terms of your personal backstory. You just talked a bit about your running. You started cooking and got into food pretty early. Did you kind of always identify as like? I'm a runner and I just really love food and cooking. Has that changed over the years? I mean, do you sort of think of yourself first and foremost as a chef these days who also loves running or do you not think about things like this? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oddly, at the age of five, I decided both of those things were going to um, just be a part of me. I ran my first race when I was five years old. It was on this really terrible cinder track in Muskegon, Michigan. And I got down and I ran over. It was like the 50-yard dash or something crazy like that. But um, I ran over to the side of the track to my parents and said, I'm going to be a runner. And that was it. For the rest of my life, I just knew running was going to be a huge part of uh, my life. Um, And it has. Uh, you know, it's evolved in different ways because I, again, I grew up a sprinter and um, wasn't until I went to culinary school. I also, I loved running cross country, um, but it wasn't until I went to culinary school and spent more time on trails that I was like, oh, this is great. Like, it's okay. If you can actually go out and just run as long as you want. <laughs> like, this is permissible. Um, and then food, um, you know, also at the age of five, I was watching like Julia Child on PBS, and I thought, oh, this is so great. I want to do that. That lady's crazy. <laughs> I want to do that, too. So it was both those things, and that was it. I have no idea how that happened, but I um, feel very fortunate to figure that out and that it actually works out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a lot of clarity at a very young age. That's remarkable. Yeah. And to find a job, like one of the things about the restaurant industry that I appreciate so much is you don't have to just work in the restaurants. You don't have to work in, you know, just a bakery or hotel. Like, I mean, I was able to create a job around my hobby and love of running and my husband's love of cycling. So um, that's pretty rad. I mean, that's just super cool. Kelly, would you mind filling us in on So you just mentioned Michigan. So I take it you spent some amount of time in Michigan as a kid. Tell me a little bit about connect the dots from Michigan to Boulder. And I'd I'd love to hear that, you know, in terms then also of your um, of your training, your culinary training. 
Sure, sure. Um, Michigan, we moved from Michigan to Indiana when I was, gosh, I think fourth or fifth grade. And uh, that was where, so I'm literally from the town that Orville Redenbacher is from in Indiana, Valparaiso, Indiana. which every once in a while someone says, oh, he was a real guy. I thought he was just sort of a caricature. <laughs> uh, so Valparaiso. And uh, there was a really a wonderful restaurant there uh, called Strongbow Inn. And I believe it is closed now as a family restaurant. But the owner of the restaurant was a graduate of the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. So all I knew was that was the school to go to. And it was really difficult to get into. Um, I started working at Strongbow and I just rode my bike down there one day and applied and uh, somehow got a job and (laughs) uh, struggled through that for a while. But uh, yeah, I I remember applying to the CIA and it's extremely difficult to get into. You had to interview with uh, different alumni. You had to take a couple different tests. It was I mean, months and months of a process to get in. And I got a phone call. I was actually working the line one day at lunch and uh, I got a phone call. I remember my boss being like, what are you getting a phone call for? I said, in the middle of a lunch rush. <laughs> and they're like, it's you need to pick up the phone. It's the Culinary Institute. And I was like, oh. <laughs> they said, hey, we have one spot. I, that was in October, and I only remember that because I went to school. I came back. He actually flew me back to work Thanksgiving at the restaurant and then flew me back to the CIA for school. But, um, yeah, that was one of the most amazing. That day was amazing, but the, I would go through that entire program again if I could. Uh, if it was because it was not cheap. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, I was, you know, I think a lot of people don't you know, need to go to school. I needed, I needed to get out of Indiana. I needed to go to school. I needed to be around those people, that environment. And it just lit me up. I could not get enough. Were there looking back kind of the one or two primary things about your time at the CIA? Or was it really just this entire different kind of culture and and ecosphere type of thing? Uh, I think it was everything. You know, you get there the first day and and I had, you know, a solid two years of experience at a very well-known restaurant with good recommendations. And the people I had worked under were very strict and hard and uh, about the things they should have been strict and hard about. Um, I also grew up, um, I'm first generation American. My mom came to the United States on a boat from Ukraine. Uh, so I have a lot of self discipline and my work ethic is uh, pretty tight. But <laughs> when I went to school, you know, the first day everyone goes up, they put you in your groups. This is, you're going to be with the rest of your time here. And everyone starts talking about what else they've done. And I was like, oh my God, I feel like I just don't know anything. Like, this is so humbling. Um, but everyone felt that way. Uh, and you might have been great at one thing and someone else was better at it, but you might have been better at them than another thing. 
and at the end of the day, it wasn't about you. It was about everything else. Like just put your head down and learn. Uh, you know, when I think about often when we're at that age, we're in our early twenties, and we go off to college, and you know whatever the school is that. For a minute there, we're all caught in that trap of needing to prove ourselves of what we know. Uh, but I learned very quickly within like five minutes. <laughs> I didn't know shit, and it didn't matter what I knew, and uh, it was going to be amazing, and I couldn't wait. Yeah, it was it was excellent. It was exactly what I needed. I just needed to be around people who knew more than me that I could just absorb everything from and just um, be immersed in it. So when you went to the CIA, it was like the, the premise of what you were learning, like pretty classic culinary. And then like, how did that play into like starting rad? Because it seems like you're catering to like, not your average eater. Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, yeah, I, I was trained in classical French, Italian, anything but kale. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of cheese. <laughs> so different it was all very classic culinary um which is really the bones of everything and uh because of that I, I am able to um you know because of that education I'm able to adjust and do things on the fly so uh, when we so I graduated from culinary school and then my first job was at a winery at Bully Hill Vineyards in upstate New York um and if you haven't been to the Hudson Valley, by the way, where the CIA is, it's just jaw-dropping gorgeous. Um, some of the worst weather in the world, but it's <laughs> just beautiful. Um, but then I went, I worked at a winery for a year and uh, got certified um, my first and second level SOM uh, because I was drinking wine every day and learning about wine. I thought, well, I might as well do this while I'm here. And... Then we moved to Virginia and I fell into a position as um, a pastry cook at a restaurant called The Trellis in Williamsburg, Virginia. And that restaurant was owned by a man named Marcel Desaunier. And Marcel is the creator of Death by Chocolate. So, again, not the type of food that I work with now at all. <laughs> My whole past life is so completely different food-wise. Um, so I ended up there as his pastry chef for 10 years with a main focus daily on chocolate. And I worked at one o'clock in the morning, uh, which I do not recommend. <laughs> it's really wretched. Uh, and, you know, he was a cookbook author. So I co-wrote cookbooks with him and we traveled the world, um, on TV and did interviews with magazines and newspapers and radio and uh gosh you guys so much cool cool stuff it really put me on the map um career-wise uh in the culinary industry that was the hardest job I had ever had and um really just launched me I'm really grateful for it uh, and then when I left the trellis um, I worked at another restaurant in Williamsburg for a couple of years called the Fat Canary, which was really cool because I was the pastry chef there, but I also got to play around on the line. I miss working on the hot line. Um, and that was really neat. Uh, and that was a brand new restaurant. So helping them just kind of like 
create uh, dessert menus for for their restaurant was was really a unique opportunity. Um, and then, so in between there, I was uh, married and divorced, and then I met my now husband Morgan. Um, and Morgan and I decided we wanted to move to Colorado, and neither one of us had jobs. And <laughs> like most people who moved to Colorado, um, we just packed everything up and drove in January of all months to Boulder. <laughs> and uh, Morgan started working at Excel Outdoors, which is the parent company for uh, Ultimate Direction. And he has been with this company the entire time, uh, with the exception of the, the one year he jumped out to help me start rad but um when we moved to colorado i really wanted to make sure that i didn't just take any kitchen job i, did, I wanted to just keep an eye out for something that just really lit my fire i needed a break from what was going on and uh i was just going to keep my eyes open and uh i got a phone call one day from a friend of mine that said, hey, I found this really cool position and I want to let you know that I gave him your resume. Uh, I think you'd be great for this. They're going to be calling me. I was like, okay, what is it? She said, it's a food truck in Boulder. I was like, we had food trucks in Boulder. We didn't have any food trucks in Boulder at the time. There were no laws written. There was nothing. Uh, so the food truck was a really amazing 23-foot Airstream named Rosie. <laughs> and then the name of the business was called Street Chefs. And that business was founded by a chef named Jose Rosenberg, who is uh, like, he is the season five winner of Top Chef. And I was like, I don't watch food TV. I don't know what that is. <laughs> They're like, you need to watch it. So I watched it and I was like, that's cool. He sounds like a nice enough guy, but I was more excited about the project. Like, Food trucks are really just about food. It's like the rock and roll of food. Um, so um, I helped start that up. And our business model was this. We wanted to see if Boulder could sustain a company that had two or more food trucks at one time um, within this particular um kind of financial spread. So uh, with one truck, we were wildly successful. We were just hand over fist. It was crazy how busy we were. Um, and our, we had a timeline for it. It was within one year. And within one year, if we were not in a position where we could start a second truck up, making the same amount of money the first truck was, uh, then we were going to close the project down. And that's what we essentially ended up doing, um, which was a total drag, but we did not lose one dollar. We ended up in the black. We were able to give everyone severance, and um, Rosie got sold to someone in Canada running a Pixar film project. And <laughs> that was that was that project, um, which was really amazing. I, I still miss that team and that that project. It was fun, um, but you know, as far as Rad goes, I was um, after I left the. Uh, that project, I started teaching at a local culinary school in Boulder, and uh, then I was also doing contract work, again, for Aim House, as I previously mentioned, um, and I had a friend call me one day as I was driving home from teaching a triathlete, uh, an Ironman triathlete, who said, hey, 
um, no need to be training for an upcoming race. Can you feed me for the next few months? I know sometimes you do contract work like this. I was like, oh, Angela, I would love to, but um, I'm maxed out. I just, I can't add anything else to my plate. Um, and I hung up the phone. I was probably five minutes away from home. I hung up the phone and I was like, wait a minute. That's what I want to do. Why am I not feeding athletes for a living? Screw all this other stuff. I'm gonna do. <laughs> That's what I do. So I thought about it the rest of the way home, you know, three or four miles to home. And I, and I thought, surely there has to be someone else doing this. This is Boulder. Um, and I couldn't come up with anyone else who had that business model. And I thought, well, gosh, there's got to be some other competition. No one else is doing this. No one. Um, it's because it's hard. It's really bloody hard. So, uh, I got home and I stormed in the door and I was like, Morgan, this is what I want to do. And, uh, he was like, huh, he's, he's not like a risk taker. He's much more level-headed and calm than I am. So <laughs> he was like, well, let's think about it for a minute. Um, but within, you know, 48 hours, we had called a friend of ours to help us with the logo, we had a name and we're like off and running. So, um, yeah, that's. That's the story. So, Kelly, when you say it is really bloody hard, it's hard first and foremost in the sense of scaling that business, or would you point to a different factor? Uh, I would say physically, like the people that think, oh, that sounds so great, I would love to do that. Like I, I hear people say, when I retire, I want to open a bed and breakfast or a catering company. Yeah, And I literally laugh out loud in their face. Like, with, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but it's just like, are you kidding me? It's so physically difficult. This, like, if I keep my cincho on and I track my steps for my coach on the days where I'm not training, but I'm just working, um, my average steps are 30 to 40,000 steps a day. That's a lot. And I'm not just stepping. I'm not just walking. I'm carrying 30 to 40 pounds at a time up and down stairs. And it's back and forth, back and forth. And people don't want to work that hard. Uh, it's a lot of missed, as you know, small business owner, you know, you're, it's a lot of missed um, other things in between when you're starting that up. So, uh, and, you know, we're not, I don't drive a Tesla. So <laughs> it took us a while before we were like, okay, now we can sleep at night. We're actually paying the bills. Um, it's hard in the, the output and the effort, the sweat equity, uh, and the stress that goes along with it all. Um, a lot of people don't want to wait for that reward. So Kelly, I know on your Instagram, you sometimes post these beautiful pastries and you talk about how you carry them when you run. Will you tell us what your favorite pastries <laughs> are to make and run? So I'm, I'm actually kind of planning like a, a girls day of baking with um you know abby hall yeah. with adidas mm -hmm. so she and i are going to have a little tutorial uh maybe either some bear claws or like palmiers because those are really great to, to stick in your <laughs> in your pocket or your vest you know somewhere um i love i love those those are tasty um and can hold a lot of sugar so <laughs> 
Also, like Maddie was up at the house the other night and we had these little pies. When those get like room temperature or cold, those are also great, Maddie, to put in your vest pocket because they're not as gooey. You have to send me a batch then. Those were so good. (laughs) I think, you know, cookies are always a winner. Um, Anything that excites you that you wouldn't normally just have laying around your house, making a batch of that sort of thing and then once they're cold, wrapping them individually, just kind of throwing them in the freezer and putting that in your backpack. Then when you pull it out, you're like, ah, this is such a good treat. Like it's so much better than whatever, you know, fill in the blank um, that we always go to, you know, like our normal bar or gel or whatnot. But uh, yeah, anything that I don't usually have around um, when I do bake something special, I've I've totally dig bear claws and palmiers. Uh, They're really fatty and bad for you. (laughs) I guess I also kind of want to talk about, like, you've done so many races, like, yourself as a runner. Um, Will you kind of talk about, like, I know you've done a fair amount of 100 milers. Like, which ones were your favorites? And what's that kind of look like now? Are you still racing and running competitively? Feeling so beat up today. (laughs) As we're doing this podcast, I'm like, I should have brought a roller with me. Yeah, you know, I, like, I wrote my... My goal is step down for this year, and there was, oh, I think there was one race on there, but most of my goals, um, my goals for 2020 are, I want to run White Rim, not in a day, though. My husband does it in a day on his bike, which I think is insane. How far is that? Uh, I think it's 105 miles. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's so cool. You should do it with me, Maddie. Okay. There you go. Just tell me when I'll be there. <laughs> Morgan is going to do some SAG support for us, but um, I think I'm going to try and I might just do it in like two or three days, maybe September. Um, so my goals are more like find the areas that I just really love and can spend some time running in there. Um you know, one of the things that I've, I've always appreciated about my coach is that he's like, all right, what are we training for now? I mean, besides life, obviously, but. <laughs> and you're working with Jason Coop, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So he's always great at being like, you know, I feel like you just put this goal on there haphazardly. Tell me why. Why is it on? Are you invested in it? So if you're not invested in it, you know, it's not going to come to fruition. So that's one really kind of key thing that I've taken away from working with Coop. Like if it doesn't mean anything to me, I'm going to find a way out of doing it. So um, I really try to, if I'm putting it down on paper, it's because it's, I have an emotional attachment to it. um, That's exciting. And that I'm going to, you know, I'm definitely showing up for it. Uh, I have a really cool project in, June and July of next year. So both of those months, I'll actually be on the PCT um, living in a van with Coop uh, <laughs> while we're supporting an, another ultra runner who's going to be going for the FKT and the PCT. Nice. That will be really exciting. Um, I'm trying to figure out like what goal, what kind of goals will I have while I'm on that project too? because I need to stay active during that time. Um, but I'll be feeding every, you know, it's not, it's going to be a small group. There's only going to be um, like 
five of us total, but I'll be feeding every one of us three meals a day. So I need to, and then driving the van from point to point. Um, so I need to like somehow figure out like, what will my goal be during this time? Like every day I need to make sure I run like 10 miles or, you know, fill in the blank. So that's kind of in my head right now. Um, but you guys, as I opened the computer today, looked and saw Leadville lottery starts. I was like, hmm. I know. <laughs> That's on my radar, too. Let's make a team, Kelly. Jonathan, you could be on our team. You can sign up for a 100-miler. <laughs> or or I could just crew and eat amazing food. That's what I, that's what I jumped, to, j- j- jumped to my mind. So, uh, yeah, if I get to eat the food, I'll happily come crew. How's that? Perfect. I always make sure my crew has good food. See, I, I, I figured that. <laughs> Kelly, Maddie is trying to drag me into the, the longer running game. And so it, she's got her work cut out for her. But, you know, these are these are effective means. You know, this would be a, inching closer, you know, when she's like, come eat amazing food at Leadville. I'm like, I think I'm in. Awesome. Hey, I want to ask, um, when you're talking about Providing food for a sustained event, you know, like the PCT, on the one hand, maybe, you know, there would be interest in kind of flexing your gourmet skills and wowing people with these culinary delights, you know, that you can do versus this kind of very functional, let's really just think about optimal performance when it comes to food. Am I wrong in thinking of these two things as um, perhaps at times in competition with each other? How do you view that? It depends. You know, if I'm with a group, I'm just going to be with them for like three days. I, you know, I always make sure that everything is not only, you know, covering their dietary restrictions, but tastes great, looks great. And like, how can we jazz this up and make it like as appealing as possible to them? Um, and just really knock their socks off. Um, and let's say for this big project in the PCT, um, there are just going to be days where it's not going to be looking super fancy, um, <laughs> because we're, we're just not going to be able to get everything that we need out there all the time. Um, but so my first goal is always, um, you know, meeting their required needs and restrictions and that it tastes great. And, uh, then beyond that, how else can I elevate this to just really make it pops to keep them excited, especially if someone's doing the PC team and after a few weeks, they're just, you know, the food for them is fuel. But if I can also keep them excited about putting that fuel inside back in them, you know, like that, that's a bonus. So, um, so last night for dinner, we just had, um, have we had white beans with like um this tomato sauce and it was like kind of a tomato broth uh and bread and butter and a a big giant fistful of like arugula uh with some olive oil on it like that was our dinner last night Uh, we had lost power (laughs) we had like gale force winds going on but um I, I was able to make some dinner last night on the wood burning stove and that's what I made. And I was like, this is really good. Uh, and it's really simple. And I was just looking at everything in the plate and like this really kind of covers everything that I would need to like for a meal for this particular athlete. Um, 
so, and I could easily, you know, make that look a lot cooler than it really is. You know, <laughs> um, it, at the end of the day, it was so good. I mean, I look over my husband, just like shoveling this down his throat. I'm like, oh, it really is good. Um, <laughs> he's my harshest critic. So he told me otherwise. But um, yeah, I think first and foremost, um, it's got to taste great. And then hopefully if I'm able to in there on a big project like that, it'll still look great. Um but we can't always have, like, it's just not always going to happen on a, you know, three meals a day for 60 days in a row in the woods. And to what extent do you have athletes coming to you a bit more on the, like, nutritional or dietary advice front? Do you do you wade into that or would you send them to you know, a specific like nutrition scientist, if they want to, you know what I mean? Like to what extent are you advising uh, versus just saying, you give me the script and I will fulfill that script beautifully. Mm, yeah. I am a, the first person to say I am not a registered dietitian or nutritionist. So the minute that someone asks me, uh, a question that I'm not comfortable with, or I feel like is above my pay grade and I'm not uh, equipped to answer, I immediately direct them to, hey, you should contact a dietitian uh, because I think that's really important. Uh, and there's so many great sports dietitians and nutritionists out there, uh, but I will never pretend to be that person. Uh, there's certain things that I can answer just kind of off the cuff. And I, I take a lot of continuing education classes with it, but by no means am I, um, that's not my job. And I think if someone really wants to know things, um, they need to contact a professional and I am not that professional. So, <laughs> um, I always direct them to someone else the minute I start to feel like, Oh, this is not something that I should be discussing. So that said, I mean, in your own practice, and again, you know, on the heels of everything you've the caveats you've just put in place here for you personally, are you still experimenting quite a bit with your diet and, and the kind of fuel element, what works best for you? Um, do you ignore all the latest, you know, this diet versus that diet? Are you intrigued by that stuff? Oh yeah. Um, I do not pay any attention to those like bad diets. Um, <laughs> and I, honestly, of all the athletes that we work with, like the professionals, they're not doing, nobody's going like um, doing the whole 30 or like these bad things. Like they eat the way they eat and that works for them. And um, if something isn't working, they adjust it. Um, what they don't do is um, you're not going to see like Anton Krapushka going, Oh, I'm such a huge fan of Scott Jerk, So I should go vegan. Like, <laughs> they're serious enough and smart enough to know that like that might not work for their body. It might, but you can't just fanboy out on somebody and choose their diet because you're fanboying on them. Uh, I, I don't have um, a need to still kind of tweak my diet um, because it, Right now, it's just, I feel like it's pretty dialed and it's working well for me. I'm mostly plant-based um, with kind of a, I'm really kind of a put an egg on a person. Uh, it, but 
I eat animal protein two or three times a month at the most. Um, but I, I don't do a lot of dairy because my stomach just feels like junk um, after it. And uh, I don't do a ton of gluten either. If I do, it's every once in a while. It's not, it's like once in a while isn't, isn't going to affect me. If I start doing it on a daily basis, then I just have a lot of inflammation. And again, I just feel really junky. Um, but yeah, I don't pay attention to any of those um, diets at all. I don't count macros. I had an athlete one day, they were like, how many macros is in this? I was like, dude, I don't know. Count your macros. <laughs> I'm not counting macros for you. <laughs> no, I, uh, it's not my job. I'm a chef. <laughs> uh, there's always, there's always going to be another, um, you know, diet out for people to follow. So I can't change my entire business model to adjust to everyone's whim. So in terms of this incredibly broad and seemingly getting broader spectrum of diets, are you willing to be honest with us here and admit if you've got, say, a new client coming in and they say, I eat this way, when are you? When do you kind of secretly or quietly at least go like, ah, oh. <laughs> versus when you're like, yes, <laughs> there's got to be something like that, no? Uh, well, every once in a while, I'll get someone will be like, do you have any dietary restrictions? And they'll say, no, I don't have any. And I'm like, oh, sure, they do. Give them five minutes. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> um, but as far as when someone's like, like if a new client comes up and they're like, hey, I'm gluten-free, dairy-free, nut-free, and whatever. Like, I don't even flinch at that at all. What I do, like, <laughs> internally roll my eyes at is when someone is like, oh, you probably can't feed me. I was really difficult. I'm like, all right, tell me what you got. Like, I <laughs> haven't met a person yet that we couldn't, couldn't handle. And they'll be like, oh, I'm gluten-free, dairy-free, and vegan. I'm like, that's like 50% of the people I work with. <laughs> <laughs> my irritation is more of like that they... When they doubt you, when they're like, you can't feed me. And I'm like, you're not that unique. <laughs> Bring it on. There's got to be something else. Um, the only person that irritates me, and I would say this in front of him. So, Billy, if you listen to this, is my friend Billy, who <laughs> will not eat cucumbers because they apparently repulse him. Um, so... <laughs> um, like when he comes to visit and he stays at our house, I'll like, you know, sneakily put cucumber soap Good in the gut. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> but he's like a brother to Morgan and I. So I, we always just tease each other. But um, otherwise, no. I mean, everybody's got their thing. And if I can help them um, stay comfortable with the way that they're eating or understand that, hey, look, you're not really a freak of nature. There's a bazillion other people who eat the same way that you do. And um, we can totally help you out. Like if I can help that person, that's cool. So Kelly, if, if we think of rad as a, like a little bit of a pie chart here, what, to what extent, or what are the percentages of the business presently in terms of catered events you're doing versus, you know, the percent where you're working with individual athletes or how many other things are in that pie chart that I am not thinking of at the moment? What's the breakdown look like? Well, so when we first started, we did have individual meals on as part of our uh, 
business model. And about two years ago, we stopped doing individual meals. So it was just, one, it was kind of costing us money. We did not have a huge um, need for it. You know, people are like, oh, if you did this, I would totally buy it. And then they don't. Or you know, two people a week might purchase something. Um, and it just was not cost effective. And, and honestly, I don't like doing individual meals. <laughs> if I can do an event and reach 50 people instead of just one, um, that's just so much smarter to me than doing the individual meals. And it just was not um, fruitful for our business. So uh, our business kind of breaks down like this. Um, athlete camps and clinics. Um let's say team summits, maybe Scarpa would hire us and say, Hey, we're having an athlete summit and our entire, like all of our employees are coming and all of our sponsored athletes do a two day retreat. Can you come and stay with us at this VRBO and feed us? They're like, awesome. We love Scarpa. Totally be there. Um, I'll use uh, CTS um, is a great <clears throat> organization. We love working with them. And obviously I'm coached by Coop. My husband's coached by MC Pierre and uh, the CTS, we have had several of their camps. Every year we feed Coop's Ultra Camp that's out of his house. And uh, we'll also, we've done some cycling camps for CTS as well. So we go to Colorado Springs and work with them. Uh, let's say, what else? Do we... Yeah, it's kind of like the, the brand or the business is really who hires us. If, let's say... Um, I don't know who can I use as an example. Amanda Basham is at a, a team meeting with Ultra and they're like, hey, we're going to have this big um, party and we need suggestions for food. Like um, write down your suggestions for food. And Amanda Basham puts our name down and then Ultra calls us and says, hey, could you feed our Christmas party? Like that's kind of how it happens. Um, but for the most part, it's camps and camps and clinics and then athlete summits. Um race food in a town that does not have <laughs> have really a town like Silverton. <laughs> what has been your favorite like event to work with? Have you can you pin one down? Um oh gosh, always hard rock. That's like Christmas to me. I just like I swear I'll just pass out from excitement one year at hard rock. <laughs> 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 it's just so fun. Yeah. My husband's always like, are you gonna be all right? I'm like, I'm just so excited. <laughs> um, you know, Western States and Leadville, and there's so many amazing races, but there's just something that's so raw and um, exposed about Hard Rock and that town and that family. Dale is just such a, gosh, such a good guy. Like, um, I, I love being there and I love feeding uh, the people that are there. I love that race so much. Um, yeah, I would say that's one of my, that's a top, top two. Um, gosh, High Lonesome was also cool. I mean, it's such a young race, but Caleb and Kelsey, that's, that's going to be a cool race. Uh, and they're, they're doing things the right way. And we were at the post-race um, meeting yesterday, or last year, and they had ordered pizza for everyone. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I'm making you food next year. No pizza. <laughs> <laughs> he's like I didn't think about it I'm like that's okay I'll get you next year <laughs> like I'll totally donate food for them to that but um events 
here's the deal. One of the big things that we're really focused on right now is um, from day one, we've only used compostable um, plates, utensils. Uh, we don't use cups at this point. If somebody wants cups, we will buy water bottles for them that are they have to use throughout that particular event. Um, but everything that we use is compostable and we will not work with an event that does not use compostable things. Our big goals for 2020 are how else can we be impactful within this community and endurance sports that we love so much? Um, you know, can we, if we're involved in a race and they don't have a 501c3 we're working with, like I'm having, I will start a conversation with that race director to be like, hey, you need, let's get a 501 in, in here. And hey, maybe it should be protect our winters. Or <laughs> while you're doing this and thinking about it, here's the paperwork. You can sign up right now. Uh, so I just want to be as impactful as possible and supportive of just the environment and put our money where our mouth is. Like that's, that's really important. Um, we, we had one large, large company uh, a couple of years ago, ask if we could supply bottled water. And I said, absolutely not. And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'll bring you a cooler of water and look, you're a huge company. I know you make water bottles. Mm -hmm. Can we get some of those here for the event? And they were like, Oh, I could be, I will absolutely not supply water bottle, like bottled water for you. And they were like, well, we don't know if we can, you know, we can find someone else. I'm like, that's great. You find someone else then. Did they find someone else? They did not. <laughs> I didn't think <laughs> they so. They purchased water, but logoed water bottles. And I brought uh, water and they drank water right from the tap. And you know what? Nobody died. <laughs> but it was, I was appalled by that. And they were appalled that I said no to them. What other stuff is kind of on your radar? Stuff like that where we're thinking about, you know, trying to reduce the waste that might happen and that is kind of tied to and related to catering services and huge events, that type of thing. So that I think is a really good example that, you know, those of us not in the business might not have at the forefront of their mind. What else, what else are you seeing or thinking about these days um, or that you're excited about or concerned about? I mean, I don't know, ranging from are you optimistic or excited by some of the things you're seeing in terms of biodegradable products? Do you think we mostly just have a whole bunch of work to do in front of us on these fronts? Help us understand how you see and survey that landscape. Yeah, you know, one of the reasons that don't use single use like the compostable cups and everyone's like oh well, they're compostable um there's a huge carbon footprint with that because those things melt into each other if they get too hot or if they're exposed to sun so uh, you're paying for this big refrigerated truck to transport them so i have a hard time kind of reconciling that uh, and everybody these days you know so many races are going cupless so um almost everybody's got a cup but I'll have a couple of examples of things that are just exciting right now. Um, I love the Dirty 30, that race. Megan Finnessy always encourages people, bring your own plates, bring your own silverware for, for food. Um, I think anytime we can remember that, and that's a great idea. Uh, we have a, a few camps and retreats that we're working with who are now doing the same thing. They're saying, hey, you can bring your own camping, like your own plate and silverware, or, or you have the option to let us know, like, 
um, first time campers, we have our, you know, logoed camp, like our, our logo on this camp plate. And here's, um, you know, some uh, chopsticks sort of thing. Uh, Solomon made the choice this year um, and it was easy fit for us because we already do this, but um, they will not work with any like food service company that is not using compostable um, plates and utensils. So yeah, I was thrilled to hear that. Uh, they just made a stance. They were like, no, oh, this is the deal. It's really important to us. I think the more companies that can do that, the better. Um, I think it's always a continued fight, but I'm hopeful that, you know, people that play outdoors seem to really um, attach themselves to these things and feel the importance of it uh, and and are receptive to it. So, uh, you know, anytime you can just, uh, you know, you can grab your own plate or bring your own water bottle. I mean, we're, we're runners, cyclists, and skiers. We all have you know, a water bottle at any given time rolling around the floor of our cars. So <laughs> bring that. Um, but, you know, there's besides compostable plates, there's, there are so many lightweight, like bamboo plates, um, just those metal tin camping plates that have been around for eons, you know, that, that are literally like, I could probably find some at my parents' house that are 50 years old. Uh, just, just, bringing those things along with us. Um, but for as far as events go, the first line of fire, um, I think just asking, hey, do you do you provide um, plates and utensils? And if so, are they compostable? Um, and I think that's been the biggest, that's probably the biggest change that people can do, not to assume that it's done. You mentioned early on that, uh, you know, I think this was around the food truck when you're like, yeah, you know, this person was on top chef and you're like, I don't know what that is. It certainly seems to be the case that the whole like trajectory of celebrity chefs and culinary culture, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like we're still on this kind of upward trajectory of that whole scene, I guess I'll say for lack of a better word. Are you, these days, you, you mentioned that back then, you know, what, maybe five or six years ago, you weren't really paying any attention to that. Has that shifted for you? Are you paying a little more attention? Do you now have any certain favorite shows or favorite, I don't know, personalities in this space? Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's still like food TV and the celebrity, you know, Americans, like we love the celebrity, right? Um, I don't, I don't watch food TV. And the biggest reason is I, I'm around food all day. And then obviously we have to eat to survive. So there's more, uh, <laughs> so if I went home and watched food TV, I would never escape it. I asked then playing off, off Jonathan's question, what's your favorite way to like find new recipes? Is it more like experimental? Do you just like put things together in your kitchen or do you have cookbooks you really like? Uh, you know what it happens, Maddie, is I'll be like in the produce section and see something that I'm just like, oh, that's so beautiful. I have to buy it right now and go home and make something. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like shoe shopping, I would assume is for other people. Um, or if I'm in a farmer's market, I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm having like heart palpitations walking around the farmer's market because there's so much beautiful just produce here. Um, that's where I get my inspiration from. Um, I'm not really, nor have I really kind of ever been a big cookbook person. 
um, yeah, I just, I kind of see things and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, um, uh, it's citrus season right now. And I was at Whole Foods the other day and they had Buddha's hand out. And I was like, oh, I love the smell of that so much. It's just intoxicating. It's like sweet and sticky and floral. It smells a little bit like orchids and just like this deepest citrus that is just can't compare to anything else, but um, it's so beautiful. And I just like to just sit and hold it. <laughs> I'm getting kicked out at it just talking to you about it. <laughs> uh, I do with the Buddha's hand, but yeah, there's, there's so much beautiful stuff that I just get really geeked out over. Um, and I use that. It's, it's usually like an entire dish will be centered around one ingredient. That's awesome. Have you had any thoughts of writing a cookbook or doing something like, so athletes could at home make some of the recipes that you make? Yes, absolutely. That's a question that I get a lot. Um, and we're kind of we're in the process of that right now. So I can't give you a ton of information, um, but yes, it will be exciting. Well, Kelly, I feel like we should let you get going here. What's the best question we haven't asked you? The question that we get the most, besides the cookbook question, Maddie, is, um, is what are your plans for growth with Rad or what? coming to fill in the blank, which is usually California. Uh, but <laughs> so I'll answer that one for you because yeah. I think that, that's an important question. Um, and that, you know, our growth is we, we do not plan to, uh, you know, expand into, you know, multiple cities, and, you know, do all these um, things that would inevitably be sort of the kiss of death for rad, like a lot of restaurants. And they're like, we're going to open another three restaurants in these cities. And then all of a sudden things fall apart. Um, one of the, one of the best things about rad is that, um, and selfishly is that like we get to be there <laughs> at all these great events. So if we, expanded to let's say I don't know I'll use um, San Francisco as an example um, it would be really difficult for us to kind of manage our Colorado community and family and the the needs of a growing an area in California um, and I'll expand on that just a little bit it's a really special person um, that is a talented cook who understands endurance sports in the community uh, and who also leads that lifestyle. Like I know a ton of talented cooks, but they smoke and drink. I can't have them hanging around at <laughs> an ultra. Uh, and I know a ton of people in the endurance community who are really great home cooks, but they don't have the chops to do what a professional culinary um kind of applicant would so that's one of the biggest reasons is if I could find that I've found one person actually um just in the past couple months and I was like oh my gosh I think I found her um <laughs> and uh she and I are actually going to meet up next week but um it's it's a really hard it's not like I'm not going to give control of my business over to someone I have no problem like having someone else do an event or we hire contract workers to help us out but um, it's a really unique person who is comfortable around, um, you know, folks like us, weirdos like us who love to, you know, do, uh, 
understand playing around the mountains for hours or that are like, Hey, the catering was supposed to start at three, but um, it's four o'clock and they're not back yet. In my head, that just means they found another cool trail and they're just going to be out for another hour. <laughs> Your average chef at a catering um, is not going to be okay with that or understand it. And uh, that's a really unique person. So that's, it's hard for me to expand with that on the table, if that makes sense. Well, Kelly, thank you. This has been really fun. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate your enthusiasm for all of this and the way you're weaving this world of running and food together and making a go of it. And um, sounds like feeding more and more top shelf runners all around the world. So it sounds like I should say on behalf of the whole running community, like, thanks for doing what you do. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Kelly. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Kelly for the conversation. And you can learn more about Kelly and Rad and the work they're doing at radboulder.com. Want to say thanks too to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then we'd encourage you to subscribe to Off the Couch, tell your friends about the show, and leave us a nice little rating in iTunes. Until next time, keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.